Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Bunley. Before we get into the episode, a quick note that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions, Inc., a digital media company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Cardboard Box Productions and all the shows it produces at CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. You can also subscribe to the Cardboard Box Productions newsletter, Unboxed, which comes out every other week and has updates about all the different Cardboard Box podcasts, recommendations for reading, watching, and listening from different members of the Cardboard Box team, and updates on some of the series that we have in development. Now today on Poetry Spoken Here, we are featuring poet, essayist, and memoirist Paisley Rekdal. She was reading at the Unamuno Author Festival, which took place in May of 2019 in Madrid, Spain. This reading was recorded at Desperate Literature on the very first night of the festival. Many of the poets who had read before Rekdal that evening had begun their readings with a poem by another writer, which is something that you will hear Rekdal mention right at the beginning. Now, this reading is short, but it includes everything from Greek myths to Mae West impressions. She begins with a poem from her 2019 book Nightingale, which radically rewrites Ovid's Metamorphoses, and concludes with two anagrammatic sonnets. Rechdahl has won numerous awards, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, and she is a distinguished professor at the University of Utah. Since 2017, she has been the Poet Laureate of Utah. And her most recent book, which came out in February of this year, 2021, is Appropriate, a Provocation. And it's a reflection on and examination of cultural appropriation. So now, please welcome Paisley Rectal. Thank you so much. Um, let me know if I am to. Can you all hear me in the back? The way, way, way back? Okay, great. Um, this is going to be. Difficult. Now I feel terrible that I'm starting with my own work, sort of. But I am that selfish bitch, and I will remain that selfish bitch to the very end. Well, I will start. Um, this book, Nightingale, actually rewrites Ovid's The Metamorphoses because, you know, that book didn't get enough play. And um, so I will be technically starting with another poet. Now, this poem rewrites the myth of Philomela. Um, if you don't know that myth, that's okay. If you do, you can feel very superior to your companions. <laughs> Philomela. Because her grandmother loved the arts, her father said, she'd willed the money to a distant cousin working as a sculptor. A decision made the month before she died from cancer which the young woman cannot now believe was due only to a brain tumor, having endured the last deliberate ways her grandmother asked why she'd never married. The cousin, who inherited the money, showed her sculptures in a converted barn, the only space large enough to contain the seething shapes that seemed to flame up from their pedestals in precarious arcs. An audacity of engineering the young woman tried not to see as a reproach when, curious, she visited how the sculptures made her feel too earthbound, solid. At the gallery, she stared a long while at what she thought was a tree blasted by lightning, 
But the more she looked, the more clearly shapes emerged. There were a man's hands gripping a slender figure by the waist, the thin body writhing, frozen in his arms. It was a girl she saw, with shredded bark for breasts and dark charred wood for legs, as if the limbs had been snatched from a fire while burning. Her twig hands raked her captor's face. My God. (laughs) The young woman could read no emotion on it, however. The plank face had been scraped clean. All the fear and anger burned instead inside their twisting bodies. She could see the two there stuck at a point of perfect hatred for each other. She for his attack. He for her resistance. Perhaps the beauty he could not stand in her as her last date and college had hissed, you think you're so fucking pretty, spitting it into her face so that she'd had to turn her cheek to wipe it, which was when he grabbed her arm, pinning her. Was this why her cousin had been chosen? To make what she'd had no words for? Persephone, the piece she stood amazed before had been titled, the last, perhaps unconscious gift of her grandmother. For your wedding, she'd said during her last week, pointing to her own open palm in which nothing rested. Perhaps her grandmother had imagined a a gold ring there, perhaps a string of thick pink pearls. The young woman drove home from the gallery, took a shower, and did not tell anyone that day what it was she'd seen. A month later, in the mail, a package came from her father, her grandmother's Singer sewing machine, its antique brass wheels scrubbed of gold, the wooden handle glossy with vines of mother-of-pearl. It was lovely, and for a moment she considered sewing a quilt with it onto which she might embroider shooting stars and reds and saffron, the figure of a child, perhaps, or of a man by house's courtyard, his hat in his hands, his broad body naked harmless. How much thread would that take to make, she wondered, and considered it a long while before packing up the machine again, sliding it back into its wood crate and high up onto a shelf of her bedroom closet, the place she kept some books, old clothes, and college papers, where she told herself it could wait. Driving to Santa Fe, Quick swim up through the headlights, gold eye, a startle in black, green, swift glance, raking mine. A full second, we held each other, gone. Gone. And how did I know what to call it? Lynx, the only possible reply, though I'd never seen one. The car filling with it, moonlight, pinion, a cat's acrid smell, of terror. How quickly the gray body fled, swerving to avoid my light, and how often that sight returns to me, shames me to know how much more this fragment matters, more than the broad back of a man I loved, more than the image of my friend, cancer-struck, curled beside her toilet more than my regret for the child I did not have, which I thought once would pierce me utterly. Nothing beside that dense muscle, faint gold guard hairs stirring the dark. And if I keep these scraps of it, what did it keep of me? 
a flight, a thunder, a shield of light dropped before the eyes, pinned inside that magnificent skull only time would release, split back, fade, and reveal. Wind would open him, sun would turn him commonplace, a knot of flies, a ribcage of shredded tendon, wasp nest fragile, the treasure of him like anything gone. Even now, I thumb that face like a coin I cannot spend. If something in me ever lived, it lived in him, fishing the cold, trout-thick streams, waking to snow, dying when he died, which is a comfort. I must say this, otherwise I myself do not exist. It looked at me a moment, a flash of green, of gold and white. Then the dark came down again between us. Once I was afraid of being changed. Now that is finished. The lynx has me in its eye. I am already diminished. And I'm going to leave with two funny poems, hopefully. Um, I wrote a series of poems from Mae West, um, a series of sonnets. And this looks like a crowd that actually knows who Mae West is. So, uh, no, no, I'm calling you well-read. I'm calling you well-watched TV watchers. I'm, yeah, people with cable. Um, so one of the things that... Um, I really liked about her is that she had this very crazy sense of humor, lots and lots of verbal play. And to imitate it, I decided to write either sonnets that could only be written from words that were composed of letters of a particular one-liner that opened the poem or closed it, or were actually anagrammatical sonnets. So I'm going to read um, Jericho. Sorry, I could this one more time. Two anagrammatical sonnets, and it will end with the actual line that I am taking from her, and you will get to hear my great Mae West impersonation. Mae West, advice. Ban tobacco. Do bacon, a bed, be delectable, collectible, a decent debacle. Decolleté, don't conceal, acne, do. Be bold and be toned, an octane blonde co-ed. Be colonel, not cadet, concede nada to doc. Date a cad and canoodle, be a clat on a cot. Don't lean on a deacon, be adult, a clone. Don't bet on an Eden, don't loot, don't loan. Be bell and ball too, a deb cocoa labeled. Be ocelot, be lancet, be candle and cabled. Canceled, debated, booed at to boot. Elect to be tall, don't tan, eat local. Be oded, caboodle, be beacon and lect. Oh, don't be a noodle, be cool and collect. It gets creepier. Okay. This is the last one I'll read. Self-portrait as Mae West one-liner. And again, it's an anagrammatical sonnet. and ends with the, the line. I'm no moaning bluet, mountable linnet, mumbling nun. I'm tangible. I'm gin. Able to molt in toto to limb. I'm blame and angle. I'm lumbago. An oblate mug, god notable, not glum. I'm a taboo tuba mogul, I'm motile, I'm nimble, 
No gab on we, no bagel bun boat. I'm one big megaton bolt able to bail men out. Gluten, I am. Male bong unit. I'm a genial bum. Mental obi genital montage. I'm agent limbo. My blunt bio, an amulet, an enigma. Omit Alan, omit bingo. Alien mangle, I'm glib lingo. Untangle me, tangelo. Mm, but I'm no angel. There you go. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.